This is Jim Collins, and you're listening to Five Questions with Dan Chabell. You're listening to the Five Questions podcast, and I'm your host, Dan Chabell. In fewer than 10 minutes, my goal is to extract the best advice from the world's smartest and most interesting people by asking them just five questions. My guest today is researcher and author Jim Collins. Jim is most known for his book, Good to Great, and his timeless business concepts. I spoke to him about the framework in his new book, B2.0, for this podcast episode. Jim, you wrote B2.0 originally with the late Bill Lazier, who you consider a mentor. What lessons did you learn from him that have changed the way you think about business, entrepreneurship, and life as a whole? Very brief uh, short story, because this Beyond Entrepreneurship 2.0 is in many ways just a, a great act of homage to this wonderful mentor I had named Bill Lazier, who was the closest thing to a father uh, that I ever had. Uh, my own father uh, was MIA, and I never really had a chance to have a great father, and Bill stepped in went to bat for me with the Stanford Deans and changed the entire arc of my life. He put his entire life and career in and everything at my support. And I will be forever different as a result. And when you come across that kind of great who luck in your life and you have a great mentor, you learn from them. So this book is basically the first chapter of the lessons I learned from this great mentor. And Bill died in 2004. And I so much wanted to share his lessons with the world. Uh, there's multiple lessons in there, but what I would love to share is one, and it's called put the butter on your waffles. And uh, that may sound like a strange lesson, but when Bill and I finished the manuscript for the original edition of Beyond Entrepreneurship, uh, Bill had a quintuple bypass the day after. And a few months after that, we were having waffles together at uh, the Peninsula Creamery. And Bill put all this butter on his waffles. And I said, Bill, what are you doing? You're putting butter and syrup on your waffles. You had a quintuple bypass. And he said, when I was heading into the operating room, I thought, well, this might be it. And I realized I was okay with that because I'd really led the life I wanted to live. It was a great life. Dorothy and I had a great run. And to know that going into the operating room, to really know that, that's when I knew I'd had a great life. And what Bill taught me with that is never confuse a long life with a great life. And he said, I'm going to have the butter on my waffles. And if you can't find a way to make what you're doing fun, we really shouldn't be doing it. And so when Bill died in 2004, and which is what gave Spawn to wanting to put this chapter out about him, I wanted to write something about him and to really share him with the world. I was sitting there in Stanford Chapel and I thought of all these, maybe a thousand people whose lives he touched. And I realized that the way he had really lived his life, that what made it a great life was he had changed the lives of other people. And so the biggest thing I take from Bill in the end is one, if you're ever wheeled in the operating room, you want to feel at that moment like, okay, if this is it, I feel pretty good about what's happened. And number two, how have you changed the lives of others? And if you know you've done that, it's hard to have a better life. The way I interpret that story and how you told it is, you know, it's something you and I both believe in. It's like leaving in the service of others. Like what impact can we have on others in this moment, in this time period? Because that's why we're all here. Bill believed that the only way to really have a great life is not to have a series of successful transactions, but to really build very deep relationships. And that the real currency of life is not in what you do with your life. It's in who you spend your time with. And if you spend your time doing things you love with people you love and love doing it with, you're going to have a great life. 
And you and I both love research. We do. I mean, to an extreme where you measure your creative output and I measure how much water I'm drinking every day. So we're like obsessed data nerds. And you've done this for over 30 years, which is much more than me. Uh, You've used your research to create an integrated framework called The Map. What do you believe are the most important elements of the map that entrepreneurs should consider as they start and grow their companies? So so let me just uh, briefly pick up on something you and I were chatting before we began, uh, a marvelous conversation that, that we had and hopefully many more to come. We were talking about this idea about how we both love data and you described it as like being an archaeologist where you, know, you unearth and you dig and then all of a sudden, boom, up comes a dinosaur bone and the sheer joy of, wow, look at that. And then, and I sort of think of our 30 years of research on the single question, what makes great companies tick, which led to books like Built to Last and Good to Great and How the Mighty Fall and so on and so forth in this rigorous method as like digging away and finding the dinosaur bones. But then there's this point where at some point you want to be able to stand back and say, but we can put all the bones together and there you can look at it and lo, it's a brontosaurus or it's a Troyanosaurus rex. Here's how all the bones fit together. What's really exciting for me is in leading this cycle and going back to the very, very first book uh, and, and upgrading it, I said to myself, I want to take 30 years of work, 30 years of pulling up the dinosaur bones, 30 years of research, and I want to create the full dinosaur. And so in here, the most important thing is that there is a map. It's that it's the whole dinosaur. It's the whole thing put together. And there are multiple components and my people will know about the flywheel and they'll know about level five leadership and they'll know about BHAGs and they'll know about the hedgehog concept, but how do they all fit together into one cohesive whole? And so if you say, what's the most important part of the map? It's that there is now a map. During COVID, it's estimated that 60% of all business closures are now permanent. And since we have this uncertain future, what inspiration and advice can you share with entrepreneurs and how to create an enduring company that survives and thrives? There's a number of things from the map that can be helpful, but one of them is that this thing that we call the Stockdale paradox, this idea I learned from the great Admiral Jim Stockdale about his years in the Hanoi Hilton prison camp and how the way he, on the one hand, never wavered in his faith, not only that he would get out, but he would turn it into the defining event of his life that in retrospect, he would not trade. But then later when I asked him, well, who didn't do as well? He said, oh, it was the optimists. And, and I said, I'm, I'm confused. And he says, the optimists are the ones who always said, oh, we're just going to be out by Christmas. And Christmas would come and it would go. And then the next Christmas would come and it would go. And they suffered from a broken heart. And what Admiral Stockdale taught me at that moment that then became known as this thing called the Stockdale Paradox is you have to have on the one hand and never lose the unwavering faith that one way or another, you can and you will find a way to prevail. Even if the specific business you're in fails, the company might not fail, right? You can come back and climb another day. You can come back again. Luck favors the persistent, so you have to persist. But at the same time, and at the same time, we have unwavering faith. We have to confront the brutal facts as they actually are. We won't be out by Christmas. And to hold out false hopes to be dashed by events is deeply debilitating. Stockdale paradox is what all entrepreneurs need now. Faith that one way or another, we can get to the other side and confront the brutal facts. And today's employees are looking for leaders to have a purpose behind profits. Why do you think organizations have to do more and be more to be relevant, competitive, and successful in today's workplace? 
if you go all the way back to the research that Jerry Porras and I did nearly 30 years ago, we found empirically that the companies that were more visionary over time, the enduring great companies, were always, for the last 150 years, they were always driven by a purpose beyond profits. They saw money as like blood, food, oxygen, and water, essential for life, but not the point of life. The point of life is something that is much more purpose-driven. And we validated this in really deep five-year research project that Jerry Porras and I did together. So I find it interesting when people say, well, it's kind of like it's new. It's not new. It was just rare. So never confuse what's new, what's rare. I think what's really happening is the world's catching up and finding out and discovering something that has always been true. If you truly want to have an enduring, great visionary company, it must, it must have a purpose that is beyond just making money. We've known this for decades. It's just that very few actually did it. And then what is your best piece of career advice? So one is one that was given to me. And it was given to me by Irv Grosbeck, who was a member of my personal board of directors, a little thing I invented for myself. And when I was leaving Stanford to go off on my own entrepreneurial path and betting on my own research and betting on built to last and how I was going. I was going to try to become a self-employed professor rather than a professor of entrepreneurship and uh, try to uh, uh, carve my own path. And it was really scary. And I said to Irv, I said, do you think I should try to use whatever political capital I have left to have the chance to come back to Stanford if this doesn't work? And here was the career advice. He said, Jim, sometimes options have negative value. For you, options would have negative value. Because if you have the option to come back, it will change your behavior. And you're doing a low odds game, but that will almost certainly ensure that the odds will go to zero. If you spend your life keeping your options open, then that's what you'll do. You'll just spend your life keeping your options open. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, Jim. To follow his journey, you can read B2.0 and find him on Facebook and Twitter where he shares his business concepts, recommendations, conversations, and appearances. <laughs>